This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back, Geek Gab, for Saturday, September 10th, 2022. Uh, hey, did you know it's October already? <laughs> what do you mean? I'm pretty sure you just said September. Yeah, apparently there was going to be an activity for uh, October uh, by the Bro SR called Brovenloft, and uh, uh, and apparently October came early because it's already roiling and and broiling and uh, uh, dragging PCs and patrons into it, and uh, there's already grudges and enemies lining up and. Uh, Kingsta rapper, the uh, the rapping mummy, and and I mean like Run DMC rapping mummy, is already uh, uh, at war with the Count von Strad Count, uh, who literally counts one, two, three, four. More. <laughs> uh, so yeah, October came early. It's the only thing I can. It's really it's Christmas survive. in September. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, everybody, everybody uh, reading it got really excited about it, and you know what began as the different factions who are going to be vying for control of Brovenloft, the region. They were having so much fun, and everybody's so excited about playing in it that we decided we just wanted to start playing now why wait so we ourselves in the trollopolis campaign were whisked away to brovenloff this last thursday <laughs> uh through so, one of the best and, and worst concepts ever um <laughs> uh b-dubs on twitter could not resist uh, bringing Twin Peaks into this, so his uh, his evil Halloween patron is David Lynch, I guess. Uh, I don't know how that makes for a good D and D adventure because I'm not sure it did, but everybody had a lot of fun in the town of Twin Peaks, circa 1991. I don't know how else, how else to put that, but if you played D and D yeah. as a kid, you can't tell me that you haven't done that before. I was. Uh... Oh yeah, I'm, I made my, I made a bunch of players suffer once through uh, the Goonies dungeon, and it was it was uh, awful. It was an awful game. It's, it's terrible. They hated it. They should have hated it. It was boring. <laughs> I read once in Dragon Magazine, I think, uh, that uh, if you copy a movie. It's either going to be terrible and boring or a lifeless replay, and uh, they were right. That's what happened. They were not lying. But uh, the, the great thing about the Twin Peaks, the two great things about the Twin Peaks experience was I looked up the price of gold in 1991, which was uh, $400 per troy ounce. And then I looked up the weight of a gold coin, 
which is uh, one tenth of a pound. That's what one coin is. And uh, which turned out to be 1.458 troy ounces. So it was worth roughly $600. $619.91. Well, wait. So I, I was bemoaning the fact that I had no money because I only had 12 gold pieces in my in my pouch when we went through uh, the Black Lodge to get to Twin Peaks. But then I changed a couple of gold pieces for $1,200. And I was pretty much set for however long we stay in Twin Peaks. I now have $1,200. I bought a, I bought a nice denim, you know, nice set of denim pants and boots and cowboy boots. And uh, I can't uh, wait for the whole party to walk around with uh, deer hunting rifles and blue jeans. Yeah. Yeah. I, I bought a, you know, tough tough denim jacket and a t-shirt so I can look like a local eat at the diner with the best pie in town um, we got into some shenanigans while we were first in town uh, we shot the hell out of a pickup truck <laughs> oh boy And uh, our fighter, played by Drew Bay, uh, chopped off the mirror. I was casting Spirit Hammer, but uh, we killed the truck before. <laughs> Good job anybody, killing the truck. Anybody had a chance to do anything. The, the second greatest thing, though, was... Apparently, an undead army of Union soldiers uh, from another patron. So we're serious. Things are happening already. One patron is uh, invading the town of Twin Peaks with his vast army of Union soldiers. Um, and there are ramparts and cannons and Gatling guns. And so... We got roped in by Amadeus, the cleric, to get involved in this battle. And uh, we went in, and our player characters made the decisive difference in the battle. Amadeus, uh, the coffee at the lodge or at the, excuse me, the R&R &R Diner. For those of you who know Twin Peaks, uh, you can tell what we're talking about. Everyone else, go watch Twin Peaks. It's a, it's a great show. I liked it. That's my That's our review. review. That's the review. That's the show. Um, we went in. Uh, the, the coffee there refills clerical spells immediately. So if you use all your clerical spells, then you can drink the coffee and they all come back. And all the slots come back so you can fill it with new spells of your choice. Um, and our uh, Amadeus 
um, refilled his, he took 10 thermoses with him and that refilled you, his spells. Drank coffee and healed wounded soldiers all night. Yep. And then had his paladin drink coffee and use laying on of hands to uh, heal, um, to heal, to cure wound, uh, to cure diseases. Because the town of Twin Peaks has Ben Horn, who's apparently the leader in town because he owns all the businesses, who had become the general of their little confederate force who was fighting back against the Union. And they had several wounded soldiers and many who were near death. So uh, Amadeus went in and healed uh, about 45, 50 soldiers. And uh, the paladin also cured diseases on many of the soldiers who were close to death just by drinking the coffee. So that was uh, a big one. And darn then, good coffee. Darn good coffee. And then we went out on the battlefield, all the players. Uh, one of the archers shot an arrow into the black powder next to a Gatling gun that was mowing down soldiers. And the black powder exploded and blew up the um, Gatling gun. These zombies were more aware than usual zombies. They could shoot muskets. They could move up and take over the Gatling gun and start shooting. And so what made the biggest difference were our two clerics, one of which is mine. Uh, his name is Godleaf and uh, Amadeus, the cleric, turning zombies on the field. Now, the nice thing about turning in first edition AD&D is that as long as you are successful, you can keep doing it. There's no limitations on turning until you fail. Well. We both were at levels such that we were automatically successful in turning zombies. So we could just keep doing it on the battlefield. He was of the level, sixth level, to where he could just destroy the zombies, turn them to dust. And I was of the level, that's fourth level, where I could just make zombies run away. So we were blasting a hole through their lines, the two of us, uh, all the way up to their main uh, line of defense on a ridge. And when we opened up that hole, all the soldiers ran through and got into their trenches uh, and set up boards to block off the enemy. And then we expanded from there and cleared out that entire trench. And the soldiers from Twin Peaks took it over. And so we have now occupied the high ground of the Union Army. And it was all because our clerics and the other members of the party uh, blew a hole through uh, the, the Union lines. So, and returned 50 soldiers to. Uh, active service by curing them. So, and then after the battle, you know, most of those boys were wounded, not killed. 
we picked him up, took him back to uh, the tent. And then we have a week before we can adventure again, which means, of course, a week of downtime. And during downtime, I'm using my $1,200 in, in good ways to get prepared for things. And that includes buying those clothes. But also every morning I'm going down to uh, the medical tent and using my uh, my spells to cure up those soldiers who are wounded and get them back into action so that the army is positioned for any counterattack or any attack they want to take uh, further into Union territory. Because the only way out of town, at least as far as I understood, is going to be through the Union zombies. So if we want to move on into Greater Brovenloft, we're going to have to uh, sneak through or fight through the Union and get the heck out of there. Past the Union Lines is a used car dealership, and I at least am planning on buying some kind of off-road vehicle um, or, you know, big Jeep or whatever that has a rough suspension so we can drive around Brovenloft in a, in an SUV. And oh, everybody seemed down with that idea. Heck yeah. So that was our experience in Brovenloft. It's a little weird. Like, uh, Ardenon says full gonzo. Absolutely. Uh, it, maybe this isn't uh, isn't your cup of tea for a regular D&D game, but everybody needs to get a little weird every once in a while. And it's totally appropriate for what they're doing in the month. So, I mean, for, for anybody who doesn't know what's really going on, it's it's the backdrop for a, like I said before, there's a bunch of factions vying for control of the area. And, you know, they're having the, they're having the fun on Twitter. But I think where the real action at is going to be, uh, when everybody playing in these games, whether it be a, there's like two axe games, a D and D game or two, uh, whatever game you're playing, you, you get to go have fun, uh, go go adventure, maybe help one of the factions if you like, and that's already started. Like it, the whole setup is so amusing and entertaining that uh, we, I mean, we just want to start playing in that in that setting, and you know, fighting Union zombies, I guess. Yeah, really. I, I didn't care about the Confederate Union battles. I just wanted to blow through the zombies and get to the used car dealership. So uh, it looks like I'm going to have to maybe turn in a couple more of my coins so we have enough cash to buy an SUV. I don't know how pricey SUVs were in 1991. I'll have to find out. <laughs> to know how many... Uh, how many gold coins to turn in for that? <laughs> I'm I'm liking being suddenly, you know, prosperous based on just a few gold coins. But but you know, it makes sense because gold coins are actually good money in uh in AD and D too. If you you know, if you're just getting meals or just getting hotel rooms or whatever, you can live quite a long time on just gold coins. Um, 
because common meals are like a copper, you know. And if you want to rent a house instead of living in inns, they're much cheaper. Adventurers just choose to do the expensive things because they're wealthy compared to everybody else. <laughs> they pump a lot of gold into the local economy so that things they tend to buy just get more expensive, really. We're walking inflationary. <laughs> yeah. Walking inflationary pressures. Yeah, we wreck local economies. That's what adventurers do. They kill monsters and wreck economies. That's <laughs> so I don't have a good uh I don't have a good segue from that to uh the Orville, but you know, hey, let's talk about the Orville. Sure. Oh uh, wait. This... The Orville has no economy, which is something that is stressed in one of the episodes of the uh, series I watched. So uh, I, I didn't realize this was still going. This is the the uh, Star Trek parody with Seth MacFarlane. Yeah, it's not a parody anymore. What would you call it? Uh, it's, it's still a comedy, isn't it? It's not really a comedy anymore either. Huh. I mean, they have a couple of fun moments, but literally just a few moments in the show so he can pretend to Fox that it's a comedy, but really it's just Star Trek, The Next Generation by Seth MacFarlane. Um, and that's not bad. It's a good show. It's an enjoyable show. And it's better Star Trek than any other Star Trek that's on right now. In fact, a lot of it is good enough to stand up to some of the next generation Star Trek. It's, it's a good show. I genuinely enjoyed it. And Seth MacFarlane does a good job of making a, making a Star Trek show. And he really takes it, he plays it straight. This is what he always wanted to do with the show from the beginning. And you knew it. You knew the comedy was just an excuse for him to make a Star Trek show. Because that's what uh, he wanted to do. Because Fox only ever knew him from Family Guy and American Dad and such. And so he wasn't going to get the funding he wanted if he said, no, I'm just, I want to make a good Star Trek show. So finally, at this series, it's, I, it was 10 episodes, if I can remember correctly. They're all hour long episodes. Finally, with this series, he has cut the comedy down to an absolute minimum. And he has gone with just straight com just straight drama most of the time. And and there are serious reasons for that. Because in the last uh episode of the second season, um there were uh you know the robots invaded and killed millions of people. 
Hmm. Um, and so they're starting the series in the aftermath of that. And so it is, uh, it would be kind of weird to, to ignore that and just go full comedy, you know, that has an impact on the crew that has an impact on, you know, people in the, uh, in their, uh, their Federation equivalent. It is just not something you want to gloss over. And so that, that has to be, that has to be, uh, that has to be considered in the show. You can't just skip over that. It's, uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it should be more serious. Um, and then the events of this season are more serious. Um, I don't want to spoil them for anybody who wants to go watch it and you should want to go watch it. It's a great show. Um, if you enjoyed the uh, the Orville before, then you definitely should go watch it because uh, it's better than ever. Uh, this is absolutely the best season of the Orville that there has ever been. Um, the actors are doing the best job they have. They have continued uh developing the storylines and Seth MacFarlane avoids the narrative and the message. There is absolutely no woke preaching, which is amazing given what given what you know the next generation is. Every show discusses certain issues and they end kind of with, you know, the captain giving a little speech about something, um, usually. And even though that happens in this show, it is not preachy, woke messages. Uh, which is so refreshing. Great drama, cool space battles, no woke messaging. You get sort of your classic uh, soft left liberalism message, but no angry. It's still Seth MacFarlane after all. Yeah. No angry. You know, the, the show isn't structured around checking off, checking off boxes on a on a woke checklist like oh no you have to do this and you have to do that and and females can't ever be imperiled and have a men man save them that's one of the woke check marks um because that's damsel in distress which you can't do um watch the new she hulk first episode to see that i am 
perfectly right. Um, or really any of the other woke shows that are coming out or have come out. Um, yeah, it's just so refreshing to not get that in a show. Uh, so yeah, I recommend it. It was fun. Uh, it's on Hulu. Um, I don't believe it got broadcast, but it's 10 episodes on Hulu. Um, and I don't know if the show is going to be, uh, continued. I don't know if there's going to be another series, uh, another season. And Seth Farland apparently doesn't know if there's going to be another season because the last episode leaves it open that there could be another season, but it's also a farewell where they kind of draw close to all of the continuing threads that started in the first season or second season. Um, and they even bring back a character that they had written off of the show, um, which was the original security officer um, from the high gravity world who they had uh, for whatever reason, I don't know the behind the scenes reason who had left the, left the show. Uh, they bring her back and that was nice to see because I like that character uh, and I like the actress. Um, and the end of the season is a, is a big twist as well. It's just not, uh, I did not see it coming. Um, and the roots for it are laid in the first episode, which is great. Um, see, he has some of the things that go with streaming, that they have continuing storylines, but there's no marking time episodes and the continuing storylines are secondary. They're like the C story to whatever's going on in an episode. They're underneath it. They are not, they don't dominate everything. They're not the main reason the show is happening. It does a very good job with telling stories that are both continuing yet not ruining the main story of any episode. Some episodes are better than others, um, but I didn't find myself hating any episode. Some episodes I saw, you know, certain things coming, but that just happens with every TV show. And it was good TV. I would recommend it. Even for someone who doesn't watch or doesn't like Star Trek? What if someone had no idea what a Star Trek episode was like? It is... It is a good series, and I think science fiction fans would like it. Um, I'm not sure if normies would or not. I've been a science fiction fan all my life. Fair enough. But it is enjoyable. I mean, the people who go to, I guess there's a lot of normies who go to Star Trek movies. 
So sure. yeah, maybe. Uh, normies who go to obviously Marvel, so maybe yeah, maybe normies would like it. Listen to my big language. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. Cool. Uh, you had to. Speaking of new stuff that's good, I saw something new. Yes, and so did I. Did you? Yeah, yeah we had uh, we had movie net last night, and we sat down to watch a Jurassic World Dominion extended version something Ooh. championship championship edition turbo. I just watched the regular one. Do you recall how long it was? I could have watched the extended one because they were both on this uh, service I took a trial on just to watch it. And a couple other movies. It has The Northman on it. I haven't watched that yet, but man, am I looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. I highly recommend it. So did you watch this on a streaming service or did you like buy it or whatever? Uh, yeah, streaming service. I, I don't recall, actually. I wasn't in charge of setting up the movie. All I know is oh. that it was on the, it was on the TV and uh, and we watched it. And uh, well, it's Jurassic Park. It's it's the third movie in a Jurassic Park series. So, yep, the dinosaurs are out and they're all over the world, and we're dealing with the consequences of previous shenanigans. And they're they're breeding fast, and they're you know they're invasive species in the uh, ecosystem, and kind of dominant. <laughs> Woo. Big yeah, which is dinosaurs, which, which is fun because the whole uh, they keep saying the characters keep saying, "Oh, they're animals, they're animals," and of course they act like animals. But the dinosaurs in the Jurassic Park movies have no chill at all. They just attack and kill and eat everything. We're not fooled; they're monsters, and it's awesome because they're monsters. I, I really enjoyed the scene where the loggers had the huge, mean monster dinosaur come just wandering into their logging setup and just plop down right there. <laughs> they just had to stop work. They're like, I, I, what do we do? <laughs> how do you, how do you make a thing the size of a, a shipping container, you know, a, a yacht? How do you get that to walk away? Like, where does the Brontosaurus lie down? Wherever it wants. Yeah. Um, I mean, and that's the back. Go ahead. Apparently, they're all warm-blooded because this was in a place with visible snow on the ground. Yeah. Yeah, they, they definitely... They, they all, on the one hand, they played fast and loose with what we think we know about dinosaurs. And on the other hand, they... Uh, they made a nod to what we think we know about dinosaurs better uh, with the appearance of some more feathery bird-like cousins, uh, I, especially towards the end of the movie. I really like that, that they had velociraptors who were from the original InGen who didn't put feathers on them because they didn't think they had feathers, and then velociraptors from the later 
engine with uh, the Jurassic World uh, setup, who did have feathery velociraptors because, you know, archaeologists had discovered that velociraptors had feathers. And so they had engineered them with feathers now. Um, and so you had two kinds of velociraptors on the in the movie, and they were giving nods to both of those species. I thought that was a nice, you know, continuity callback. Yeah. But I mean, that's that's the backdrop. But uh, what'd you think of? Oh, I I mean, I could give a summary. Things ha that happened in previous movies come to light, and all the characters from all the past Jurassic Park movies, yes, all of them, uh, return in a big, ugly, you know, dinosaur bloody finale of, you know, paying for all their hubris and mistakes of previous movies. Um, Ian Malcolm wasn't Ian Malcolm-y enough. I don't know. If Jeff Goldblum just seemed to be tired. Uh, there was... I mean, I could say this about... I could say this about everything but the animations. The entire film was phoned in. The extended cut was an extension of phoned in everything. Um which it might as well be it, uh, for my, for my money. It was kid stuff. Uh, I think it was a, it was not a very good, you know, it wasn't a very good movie, but dude, you get to see dinosaurs do terrible things to the bad guys. And sometimes the good guys and, you know, the good guys went out and saved the dinosaurs and or themselves. Uh, it's kid stuff. Um, I wouldn't show any kids any of it because of, you know, my current the current year woke propaganda but anyway that was my take on it uh i don't think jeff goldblum was the only one phoning it in what about you i enjoyed the movie yeah it was an action movie and i like action movies and it kept me entertained yep um i was surprised that it kept me entertained i uh Genuinely surprised that I was entertained pretty much the whole movie. Uh, a couple of times I thought I shouldn't be entertained by this, but I was. <laughs> I and I can't explain it. I'm I, people well, running I... from dinosaurs, dinosaurs tearing apart stuff, people coming up with little solutions to get out of stuff. All the mysteries in uh, one area that comes up. Uh, the fact that the bad guy is an evil Tim Cook, the head of Apple. I just yeah. thought that was endlessly amusing. <laughs> Every time it came on the screen, I laughed. And I admit that's because I'm a, you know, I'm an Apple person and I've watched a few of those presentations where Tim Cook is standing there, uh, you know, introducing new products and turning things over and telling them how good Apple's doing. So I'm familiar with Tim Cook. And they nailed his look and, and voice and mannerisms pretty exactly. It was it was just fabulous. I just thought that was hilarious. Um, so people who weren't as familiar with Tim Cook may not know that's what that was or may not find that as uh, amusing as I did. But there were so many things about that that I just found amusing. Um, I don't I don't want to talk about the film 
and give uh, big spoilers, but you know, the action scenes kept me amused. They entertained me. The film did not make me miserable. And I know that's a line from Red Letter Media, but still, you know, <laughs> I watch a lot of things that, that do make me miserable. Uh, but this movie didn't. I'll say it served its purpose as uh, dumb dinosaur popcorn entertainment. Uh, just checking in, uh, you're not missing much. According to IMDb, the extended version is only 12 minutes, 6 seconds longer. Um, which means that the movie's <laughs> way too long. Um, there's a lot of character stuff and story connective tissue that uh, it doesn't matter. Lots, lo lots more human-centric action, not enough dinosaur-centric action. Um, the, but the, way they mix, the way they mix the past characters and the and the characters from the new trilogy was fun. Mm -hmm. They're trying. They you could see that they're very carefully moving them both around to make sure they weren't sliding either group, so the fans of either could wouldn't be able to, you know, hit rage reviews on Twitter or YouTube or something. <laughs> uh, that was very carefully managed. I just noticed that. Um. So yeah, I found it fun and exciting, and that's not unusual for us to have a split opinion on shows like this. So, yeah, uh, and I do want to I do want to qualify it. Was it too? I mean, it was too long. Yeah, some of the action scenes. I mean, most of the dinosaur action was fun. Some of the animation was bad. Most of the acting was phoned in. I mean, but you're watching Jurassic World. You know what you're in for. Um, and they do take a little while to get to the, you know, like you said, moving those pieces around the board. They took a little yeah. while to get to the point where um, the, you know, the actual things that they were setting up in the first act start happening. And so I might have said, I might say that it was, uh, maybe the first act was a little over long. Yes. I agree. Um, and dumb stuff happens too, like with the, you know, the, the fan favorite blue of the Raptor from the first two <laughs> Jurassic world movies, right? Like everything involving that, uh, character for lack of a better word, uh, was just sort of, you know, blatant fan service. Like I said, that's why I said it's kid stuff, right? Like your, your kids are going to be like, Oh wow, look, blue's back. Yeah. And and everything like that. Yeah, look at Chris Pratt do the Chris Pratt motorcycle alpha male thing. Yeah. Uh, cool. You know what you're getting. You, you could have cut all the blue subplot out and it wouldn't have made any difference to the actual story of the movie. At all. Yeah. It was pure fan service. Like, yeah. what What's blue been up to? Well, let's Let's just put blue in the same place as everybody else, and because people want to see a velociraptor eat people. Uh, which is great, because <laughs> yes, 
there are two things that must happen in, in a Jurassic Park movie. Um, one is that Velociraptor eats somebody. Number two, the T-Rex always wins. That's a spoiler. Oh, yeah. Always bet on the T-Rex. Um, and we do get a pleasant callback to the uh, first one, uh, where a bad guy gets eaten by dinosaurs that I don't think we saw since the first one. Uh, but as soon as you hear the sound on the soundtrack, you're just going <clears> to... <throat> you'll get excited. I thought that was a fun little addition. Absolutely. All right. So... Yeah, I have I a thumb in the, I have a thumb in I have a thumb in the middle and a firm thumbs up for you. Okay. Take that as a you know, take that for what it's worth, guys. We've watched a lot of movies and Jurassic World is not It's not an A+ plus movie, but I'd give it a a B. Oh yeah, I mean it's a movie by dinosaurs running around eating people. It's it's a B movie by definition, right? <laughs> uh, all right, let's 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 move on. I'm gonna, uh, I vampires, about... oh. cops, or or a movie called Sorceress in which the sorceress doesn't actually do anything. Uh, you tell me. All right, let's go we're to the cop a, shop. I was about to say, we're on action movies. I want to hear about this cop shop that uh, I just learned about it this morning before the show. Um, cop shop is a Frank Grillo slash Gerard Butler movie. Um, it's an action movie about a, uh, a criminal who purposely gets himself thrown in jail and an assassin who purposely gets himself thrown in jail so he can kill the criminal. And the rest of the movie unfolds from there. Um, if you've seen the trailer, I'm not spoiling anything to say that other criminals and other assassins hit the police station. That's why it's called Cop Shop. Because that's the slang they're using for this police station. It's a cop shop. Um, and they have to duke it out with the cops in order to try and get into uh, try and get into and, and kill this criminal who has a huge bounty on his head. I liked it a lot. Uh, the action scenes were great. The uh, sheriff's deputy, who was the primary protagonist, and she was the protagonist. The criminal and the assassin are both really antagonists. Uh, they're both terrible criminal people. They've both done awful things, and so you don't really feel for them, but you feel for the uh, you feel for the actual police officer as she goes about her duties and tries to do things, um, moral things for the right reasons, um, even though it's exceedingly dangerous and even though she suffers for it, um, 
she goes through and, and tries to do the right thing in every every circumstance. Um, Frank Grillo does a great job as the criminal. Gerard Butler turns in another knockout performance. I do not understand why he doesn't end up in, in bigger movies with better scripts because he's a fabulous actor. Are you um, serious? That yeah, I like Gerard Butler. The man's got the square jaw look, but he's a charismatic black hole. Uh, it's he can he can do all the amazing, cool, fun acting he does. He just this guy cannot sell tickets. I'm surprised you hadn't noticed that. I I just like him. I watch movies because Gerard Butler's in them. Okay, and I I don't know that I've seen a Gerard butler movie that i didn't like but uh i think you're one of three people in the world who's ever said that <laughs> maybe you're maybe you're just recognizing you know this this talent that you're just seeing that that nobody else does that's funny but i i'm gonna remember that uh you're the you are the one member of the gerard butler fan club <laughs> well that's sad because he is really a good actor he turns in great performances and in movie after movie. Yeah, that's funny uh, because, like I said, I, I, I haven't, I don't have any complaints about any movies I've seen him in. Uh, it's just, I don't know. He, he delivers strong and compelling performances. Uh, he carries off good performances, even in ridiculous movies. Uh, and he makes you believe the characters he's inhabiting. I mean, he's, he's played complete psychopaths. Um, he's played just good, uh, honest, decent family men uh, out to uh, keep his family together during massive natural disasters. And he's made me believe both of them. Um you know, I think the first movie I saw him in was 300, and he made me believe in King Leonidas. Um, his biggest weakness is his accent. He just can't seem to change that accent into anything else. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've, I've liked him in everything I've seen him in. and I, Maybe I'm the only one who can recognize he actually delivers those performances, but... Uh, I literally will watch movies that just because they have Gerard Butler in them, because I know, uh, I know he's a good actor who turn in a solid performance. So. Wow. Well, you here to hear two thumbs up for all Gerard Butler movies, <laughs> but he does a great job in shop as well. And, and if you're wondering which side of the, uh, uh, which side of the, you know, scale from, decent noble family man to absolute psychopath he is all the way to the absolute psychopath edge of the scale there is no redeeming this character um so um it's great it's got a fun guy who shows up partway through the movie I was excited for the movie when I saw the first trailers. 
I thought it was going to be kind of like a ripoff of Assault on Precinct 13, uh, which I loved. The new one, I don't think I've seen. No, I saw the original because I loved the new one so much and I wanted more of it. Um, but yeah, uh, it wasn't a ripoff of Assault on Precinct 13. It goes a completely different direction. Um, and I'm not going to say a better direction, but it goes a completely different direction and does its own thing, which is uh, fabulous. Um, and it's set in Nevada, uh, near Las Vegas, uh, near a, an Indian casino, actually. And the very Las Vegas, Nevada thing plays into the whole uh, plot of the movie. It's It's critical to the plot. It's not just a a random choice. Um, yeah, I enjoyed the movie. The action scenes were great. The characterization of the characters was strong. Um, the main protagonist is female and African-American. But once again, it is not a woke message movie. They do not preach at you. And um, she is not a strunk woman protagonist. Um, she struggles to achieve things. She has to think her way out of different situations. She gets shot and bleeds. She has to depend on other people to help her. So that checkbox I mentioned earlier, that in wokest movies, females cannot be rescued or helped by men. They cannot appear weak. This movie doesn't even try to check that off. People get hurt realistically and uh so it's not a wolf movie even with the protagonist being that there is no preaching at you which again i uh appreciated a lot so i think this is a sleeper movie it kind of went under the radar um but it was a really good movie and all the actors turned in uh, solid performances. Uh, I believe this is the first movie for the uh, protagonist's actress. Um, I, I've never seen her in anything, and most of the uh, most of the actors have never seen them in anything. Um, but. Uh, They all, they all did a solid job, and um, there was one actor who uh, the police chief I've seen in a couple of other things. His name's Chad O. Coleman. Um, he highlined he high man. I can't get that word out. He. I don't even know what word you're trying to get out. He 
headlined uh, a couple of movies. Um, he appears in the Orville, actually, as Clyden. So there's a nice little, you know, callback there. He appears in The Expanse, uh, which is a great series you should watch. Um, and uh, so he's done some work uh, uh, around. So he appeared in The Walking Dead uh, and some other movies. So you may have seen him around without knowing exactly uh, who he is. But yeah. He did a solid performance every time I've seen him and whatever. He's always turned in a solid performance. So definitely uh, they got smaller actors who uh, are capable of turning in good performances. Um, which is, hey, if you're a you know smaller production on a budget, that's the way to go. Good actors who have been overlooked, who don't take mega million payoffs um so that's cop shop well worth your time i recommend it um sleeper movie that kind of got overlooked so it's out on streaming now's the perfect time to catch it if you have a streaming service or to rent on you know itunes or whatever it might be even out on um like hbo or showtime in cable if you have cable still. What? What's cable? <laughs> um, I'm going to go to Day Shift next. Day Shift is a Jamie Fox movie. He's a pool cleaner. But pool cleaning is just a cover for his real job, which is hunting vampires. <laughs> I thought you were setting up something else, but I'll, I'll take vampire hunters. Apparently, L.A. has scads of vampires, enough so that there is a vampire hunting union, which he doesn't belong to because he got kicked out after too many uh, reckless actions in his vampire hunting. So he has to, when you're vampire hunting, you take the teeth of the vampire because their elongated canines show how old they are and what kind of vampire they are. And you can hawk them to specialized pawn shops who will pay you more money for the older they are and the more dangerous they were and therefore the more kills they've made and the more dangerous they will be in the future so young vampires who have barely started their draining humans career they're not worth as much old vampires who've been around for a long time uh and who've killed many people by inference uh who are very dangerous and therefore very dangerous to go and kill they're worth a lot of money. You can hawk them and get lots more money. But freelancers who have to hawk them to pawn shops, they only get 
you know, a very small uh, fee, much smaller fee than you would get if you belong to the union. And Jamie Lee Fox doesn't belong to the union. Uh, and so he doesn't get as much money as he would want. Plus, uh, his wife left him because he's always coming home with broken arms and scars and uh, always having to tell them to do strange things or having cops stop by the house. And uh, he keeps having to lie to his wife. And so she said, that's it. I'm not doing this and divorced him. And it's California. So she got half his stuff and the house. Um, because he wouldn't tell her the truth of what he was dealing with. And so that's the way things are at the start of the movie. Uh, his character, whose name I can't remember, goes into a, to do a pool job and then goes into the house and finds out that this was not a mid-level vampire's nest, but there is a ancient vampire there who is tougher than hell. And we get our first action scene of this ancient vampire who looks like an old lady who just throws him through walls and roughs him up terribly, tosses him across the room, bashes him through furniture. You know, he just gets the snot beat out of him. And then other vampires show up in the middle of it. Um, but he eventually kills this old lady who is a vampire, um, even though you may not know it at first in the scene. And I guess that's a little spoiler, but this is literally the start of the movie. And my theory is anything that happens in the first scene is fair game. If the movie literally starts out with something, not a spoiler, that's just the opening of the movie. So you have to live that. that my theory, it's always been, it's been eight years. You should be, you know, kind of used to it by now. Um, and then plots unfold for there. from there. There's an evil lady vampire who's taking over L.A. Um, he gets stuck. He gets somehow reinducted into the union so he can get some more money because his wife is going to take his daughter and move to Louisiana where he can never see them. And so he promises in order to keep them in L.A., where he can see them again, he promises to get $10,000 in five days. And the only way he can do that is working with the union. So he gets his way into the union. And in order to be confirmed as a valid member of the union, he has to have a union rep come with him. So he can prove that he's on the straight and narrow and he's not going to break any union regs. So he has a uh, he has a newbie along with him on all the raids he has to do. Uh, and so, if I were to describe this movie, it's a fun, fast pace. They don't waste any time in this movie. All the talky scenes they get over with very quickly, and it's on to the next um, vampire action scene. Um, but it's highly entertaining. Uh, it's, it's, 
just a heck of a lot of fun. Um, you get to see a guy get attacked by vampires a lot. You get to see him kill vampires. You get to see him beaten and bloodied by vampires, but still overcome. And he's absolutely dead set on keeping his family, on protecting his family. He's a good father. Um, and there's sort of a happy ending for most of the characters, except, you the know. Vampires. Yeah, except the vampires. <laughs> vampires don't get happy endings. Um, but yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it leaves open the possibility of uh, of sequels, but I mean, LA is filled with scads of vampires, so you'd expect that there could be sequels because there's more vampires to kill. Of course. Jamie Lee Fox is a good actor. He's a great actor, so he's turned in some compelling performances. People who don't like action movies uh, didn't like it. They say you should go watch the movie he did with Tom Cruise playing a psycho assassin instead because that's more better Jamie Lee Fox. I don't know. Oh, I love yeah. Jamie Lee Fox. Jamie Jamie Fox. Yeah, Jamie Jamie Fox. Yeah. Jamie Fox. Yeah. He's uh, that was that was an interesting one. Um I do forget the name, but yeah, where he plays the driver being you know, driving around the assassin Tom Cruise. Um that was more that also, was more of a, a slow burner drama. I don't know. Yeah. It's completely the opposite kind of movie. So if you want to make it a, a Jamie Foxx night, oh, it's Jamie <laughs> Lee Curtis. Her name always infests my head when I think of Jamie Foxx. Um, I, I was going to say, I was, I was going to say, I, I'm picturing the memes I'm going to make after this show. Of, <laughs> this, we're going to have one of those AI artists the art ai things just make us a mix up of jamie lee curtis and jamie fox um my bad folks um but yeah he uh he does a great job and if you wanted to make a jamie fox night i'd suggest a two-header of baby driver in this movie um and that'd be a great night for me i'm so hipster man hey baby driver is a good movie it is a great movie. It's it's one of those, but it's one of those movies that didn't get the love it deserved. It's like, it's like I'm sitting here saying, "Oh yeah, I love Baby Driver before Baby Driver was possible." I love this obscure indie movie that Jamie Foxx is in where he kills vampires. Oh yeah, nobody heard of Cop Shop, but I watched it. Gerard Butler yeah, that... is so underappreciated, man. You should watch his movies. <laughs> It's totally you this week. <laughs> I'm this hipster. Okay. We have run out of time almost. Uh, so I, I gave a pocket review of Sorceress to Dornall before the show. I wasn't even thinking about it because he asked me, what is Sorceress? So I gave him the entire review. So I'll give you guys the entire review. I'm going to try and remember it. Sorceress is a B movie. It's great. It's lots of fun. I think it was made in like Italy or something. Um, 
but the sorceress herself who shows up in the movie doesn't do anything she's not really there it's about a sorcerer who uh stole the secrets of uh of living three lives so if you kill him three times he doesn't come back um and he promised to this evil demon in order to get these three lives and some vast powers to kill his firstborn child. And unfortunately, his firstborn child was two twin girls. And his wife uh, ran away with the two children so he couldn't kill them. And I, I just want to say here, and I said this on Twitter, if you marry an evil and malignant sorcerer who promised, who, who has a plan to take over the world and before then um, sacrifices virgins and, uh, you know, wipes out villages and conquers other lands and worships a demon. I'm not trying to blame the mother here, but you have to kind of expect that at some point he's going to do some bad things to you. And by marrying him, you have made a certain life choice that is going to come back and, and bite you on the butt at some point. Okay. And that's on you in, in some sense. Okay. That really is, you have to kind of shoulder that responsibility. All right. You have to expect that. That's your choice. So I'm not trying to blame her. I'm just saying you have to have had that expectation when you went into the marriage. And you have to have accepted that. So girls, if you're listening, don't marry a sketchy-looking demon worshiper who sacrifices virgins to his evil ancient master. Because there's a good chance some of that's going to come back on you and maybe your children. Just some life advice from Daddy Warpig. Take it for what it's worth. So she runs away with the two twin girls. And he catches up with her and demands to know which is the firstborn. And she literally can't tell him because they've been mixed up. And only the midwife knows. And he has just killed the midwife. And then his master shows up and kills him. And takes the girls from the mom because he's also killed the mom. And she dies, sadly. 
So his master takes the girls and delivers them to this village and demands or, or asks that this lowly woodman raise them as boys. So then the movie skips ahead in time to when the girls have all grown up into twin playboy playmates. And they're blonde. And they wear caps to hide their long blonde hair and their blossoming bosoms. That's good because that would be quite the, a distraction. They are absolutely the least convincing boys you have ever seen on film. Their waists are clearly feminine and their shifts that are made out of fur are the thinnest synthetic fur shifts you have ever seen. And when they run, a blind man could not miss the movement of the mammaries <laughs> underneath those shifts. No one could possibly mistake them for boys. But the entire village accepts that these are boys. Um, so the evil army shows up and slaughters the entire village, but they make their escape and go through some adventures and pick up some allies. Um, and if you are familiar with B-movies of the 70s and 80s, that starred Playboy Playmates, you can make some assumptions about their roles in the movie. And darn it, the girls try hard. They try hard to do some acting. They are not naturally talented actors, and they have not had experience to hone what talent they may have had in that direction. Um, but everybody in the movie is actually legitimately trying hard to make an entertaining movie. And it is a low budget movie, but it is a great pulp story. It has all the classic pulp elements. And if you can look, overlook the low budget and the bad performances by the lead actresses, it is actually an entertaining story. They have good story elements in it. They have some classic story elements in it. And the story of, you know, them having to wait, the this sorcerer's followers waiting 23 years for him to be, to reappear out of nowhere and take up his evil plans once again is just great. It's awesome to see this evil guy to his evil stuff. Uh, he just... He just is evilly evil and, and is enjoying it. And he so has so much fun being evil and sending out his cohorts to 
raid villages and look for these these girls and slaughter the villages and rule with an iron fist and it's a great pulp story great sword and sorcery story and it uh, it kept me entertained there were bad parts about it i'm not gonna lie but if you can overlook those bad parts it's just an entertaining story so it's fun um and again i i have watched so many miserable things that maybe my calibration for watching quote unquote bad movies is just, hey, I know this is going to be, you know, not as good as watching the John Milius Conan movie, which was actually legitimately a, a, a great movie. You know, I know this is not going to be as good as watching Inception. I know this is not going to be as good as watching other legitimately great movies. But it really is a fun movie. It's got a, an interesting plot that they have wrapped some interesting things in. And it's a classic sword and sorcery movie. So I can sit back knowing what its flaws are going to be and just setting those aside because I'm looking for the good that's in the movie. Um, and I didn't have to try very hard. It's not out like I was straining to enjoy the movie. It just, I enjoy sword and sorcery. I, and I enjoyed this movie because most of the sword and sorcery you find really is low budget stuff. They don't make a lot of high budget sword and sorcery movies. So if you want some, some pulp action, if you want some sword and sorcery, you really do have to look to, uh, look to lower budget fare with, um, not so much, not really super great actors. Um, they attack the material with such gusto. They find this uh, barbarian who is not a dwarf because he's like, I don't know, six foot three or something or six foot two. But uh, other than that, he's a dwarf. Just so perfectly perfect, the dwarf. Um, big red beard, carries a battle axe. Gruff is all heck out. Just such a fun character. And that's what I mean. He's a fun character to watch. He says fun things. The way he acts is fun. The gruffness with which he acts towards the women is fun, but he still comes along with them, still helps them. And then they find this great swordsman who's also a bit of a ladies' man who is occasionally overestimating how charming he is, and he gets in trouble. Um, he's a con man, and he's just incredibly fun to watch interact with people and, uh, you know, push his con man abilities a little too far and get caught, and so has to create a distraction and escape. These are legitimately fun characters that you can enjoy watching do what they do. And so there is fun to be had in this movie. You don't have to have A-list actors to enjoy a movie. You can just enjoy it for the good characterization they put in. And I know I've said this before about B-movies, who 
we're just forced to depend on fun characters. We're just forced to depend on good characterization and interesting dialogue to carry a movie because they didn't have great actors. They didn't have a high budget and they weren't pushing a message. They were just trying to entertain the audience. So they had to push. That was their strength, entertaining the audience. So they had to push it as hard as they could to make it as entertaining as they could. And the violence and the sex appeal. So that's that's what they had. That's what they wrapped up. That's what they leaned into. Entertainment, violence, sex appeal. That's what they had. Uh, and if more modern movies leaned into entertainment, violence, and sex appeal, instead of leaning into politics, ideology, and lecturing, modern movies would be better. That's why they failed, even though they've got superb actors and sky-high budgets. It's why a movie that spends, or a TV series that spends $1 billion, I want you to know I put my little pinky finger up to my mouth as I said that, um, can fail so miserably. Um, because uh, they lean to preaching politics and ideology. Mm. And this movie doesn't. Uh, and Cop Shop, and Day Shift, and Jurassic World Dominion does a little bit, but not much. Yeah. Jurassic World, Jurassic World does it in the casting. Yeah, and, and a lot of the and some of the scenes. Um, it's and, a lot uh, less than previous movies. It's the uh, the the messaging in Jurassic Park is is sort of an evil twisted version of the original Jurassic Park, right? The you know be careful what you mess with, right? Be careful yeah. careful messing with nature, and uh, Jurassic World Dominion has twisted it into a message that uh, you know this place wasn't made for us. You know, humanity is just visiting on this planet, um, which is not, uh, it's not a healthy or correct viewpoint of the world. Uh, I think, uh, I think the beware of nature is a little more or beware of your pride, right? You've got that classic. Ooh, you got me ranting now. You got that classic, uh, you know, evil scientist, Dr. Kim, who's in like every movie. He's always behind the terrible dumb things that happens and he never really learns um you know it's that hubris right that that and he never he never pays for it right he causes so many problems uh in jurassic park and in jurassic world he never pays for it the rest of humanity does um that's that's a that's a good message that's a healthy message like yeah quit messing with forces that you don't really understand right because the you know, the second and third order effects and so on are going to be, oh, devastating. But no, that wasn't the message that the folks, the writers of Jurassic World were trying to get by, at least when they put uh, their stupid monologues in the, their characters' mouths. Um, and I didn't I didn't go into it deeper because we hadn't been talking about it. But yeah, that was one of the things that makes Jurassic World Dominion a bad movie. Um, but I hope you got my point there. I'm done. And the Orville also doesn't preach wokeness. 
So, liberalism, classic 80s and 70s soft-hearted liberalism, but not... Yeah. But not wokeism. So, yeah. Would I recommend Sorceress? I would recommend Sorceress to people who just want to have a fun movie and are able to chill with, you know, with the movie as I've described it. Dude, have a quad feature. Do Sorceress and Deathstalker, Deathstalker 2, 3, however many Deathstalkers they made. <laughs> uh, Tubi is free. T-U-B-I. The streaming service is free, so you don't have to give evil corporations money. Uh, and it has uh, a lot of these. I think I watched Sorceress on Tubi. Um, it's got Deathstalker 1 and 2 and a bunch of other uh, sword and sorcery movies. So, yeah. Do it. Um, anyway, anyway, D-Dubs, I think we're way out of time. Yeah, we're way over time, and I'm done anyway. Oh, I would like to say I also finished Resident Evil on Netflix. We'll talk about that next week. Um, and I really would like to watch Northman this week. Um, so, uh, so that's it. Hope to talk to talk about Northman. Uh, I'd love to get your take on that. Um. I'm gonna... And of course, I'm still watching Rings of Power, She-Hulk, House of the Dragon. Why? But those aren't going to be done anytime soon. Oh, don't do that to yourself, man. Well, now you see why something like Sorceress is, uh, despite its flaws, is a real refreshing change because it's much better than any of those three shows. Also, I would love to see is it Beastman with Mark? Sorry, don't know what you're talking about. Where he has the power of animal empathy, and he controls animals. Oh, are you talking about the like the '80s classic? Yeah, the the Beastmaster. Beastmaster, yeah. I have that available on on one of the streaming services I have right now, and I I would really like. Uh, to watch it. Oh, also Pluto TV. Uh, if you can find that, I know it's available uh, on the Xbox and on Apple TV and on the web. It's a streaming service that is also uh, free, but by which I mean you don't pay for it. It has ads. Um, so you're not giving money to evil corporations. And it has a on-demand setting that has a bunch of movies that's where i'm going to watch that's where i watched jurassic world dominion and that's where i'm going to watch the northman it has some a great first run movies that you don't have to pay money to watch and it's the only place you can watch those two movies on streaming right now um so yeah uh well i wish you wouldn't put yourself through that modern stuff, but uh, I'd be glad to talk about that. Uh, the Northmen, and we should watch Beastmaster anyway, because why not? Yeah, um, I really, really want to watch Beastmaster because I'm in a sword and sorcery mood. Do it, 
do it. Well, let's let, let's try and do a little sword and sorcery next week. Um, in the meantime, yeah, Fiona Wolf in the chat says uh, recommend Beastmaster. Watch that instead. Um, uh, thanks for the good chat. I love talking about random whack movies uh, that you find uh, on streaming services. It kind of makes me yearn for the days of the old uh, local video rental place. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I really appreciate it. I hope everybody in the chat uh, enjoyed the show and and uh, everybody listening live get some good reviews out of us for recent stuff. Uh, Orville was a big thumbs up from DW. Um, Jurassic World was uh, mostly thumbs up from us, and uh, Jurassic World Dominion rather. And uh, all the B movies, just sit down and watch them because they're awesome. I'm out for today, Daddy War Pig. Uh, I'm about ready to fall asleep. I don't know about you, but uh, really appreciate hanging out. I'm signing off for this week. Um, I want to thank everybody who came and listened live. Um, and uh, also uh, thank everybody who will listen later. Uh, this is Geek Gab. We're available on YouTube.com slash Geek Gab. YouTube.com slash Geek Gab. Uh, every Saturday or just about every Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. Uh, we do a live show and we have a live chat and you can come in and participate. Or if you can't catch the show live because of time zones or other difficulties, you can uh, come to youtube.com slash geekgab and uh, check out the archives and uh, watch and read the chat. Uh, we have amazing commenters, uh, amazingly intelligent commenters, and uh, they're available for you or because uh, we're amazing people here, honestly. You can catch us on soundcloud.com, on the Google Play Store, and on the Apple iTunes Store. Just do a search for Geek Gab, download us to the device of your choice, subscribe uh, on those platforms, or, uh, or heck, on YouTube as well, or uh, watch us on the web, uh, or download us to your computer. We're chill like that. Folks, we are signing out for today. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.